0: Hello and welcome to episode 34 of Sam Explaining Science. I'm Sam, I'm your host. I'll be Sam Explaining the Science and today we're taking a listener question. We're talking about RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. So, let's get into it. Hey everyone, how are ya? I hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, As I mentioned, this week's episode, we're going to talk about RSV or respiratory syncytial virus. The title for this episode was actually really difficult for me to come up with. And it's only three letters, but I was, I don't know, usually I try to make the titles like fun or like punny or, you know, and I I just couldn't come up with anything for this. The, The creative juices were not flowing today. So, we get three letters, and actually I had to i postponed recording because I was like, i'll think about it i'll I'll give myself some time to really think of a creative t- nothing I've got nothing r s v is what it is, and I'm sorry, but hopefully the educational content of the episode will make up for the non creative uh title. maybe it won't that's I was going to say that's not my responsibility. It kind of is. But anyway, okay. Um, I want to thank my cousin, cousin cousin-in-law, cousin Annie, for submitting this question. Um, She messaged me on Instagram and asked about respiratory viruses that affect children, young children. And um, one of the most common, at least from what I've seen across my research, was RSV. And I didn't know that much about RSV. So this was definitely uh, a learning experience for me. And uh, I'm excited to share it with you all today. Um, but if you have a request for a topic that you want to hear about on a future episode or if you have any questions that you want Sam-splain to explain to you, you can always hit my line. You can DM me on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. Um, you can also submit questions anonymously or not anonymously, through my website. Um, It's samsplainingscience.com slash ask. So if you want to submit a question there or a suggestion for a future episode, that would be greatly appreciated. All right, without further ado, we'll get into the questions for today's episode. There's just two. The first one is, what is RSV? And specifically talking about RSV infections and how they're sort of described, characterized. And then the second question is, is there a vaccine for RSV? Um, And we'll actually get into recent developments in uh, vaccines for respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV. So for the first question, what is RSV? As I mentioned multiple times, uh, RSV stands for respiratory syncytial virus. Um, it's a common virus that typically, like among healthy people and adults, cause common cold-like symptoms. Um, so symptoms usually start to show four to six days after getting infected, and they're typically like your usual cold symptoms, like a runny nose or sneezing, coughing, uh, decrease in appetite, fever did I say fever already? Um, <laughs> yeah, so more like typical common cold type symptoms that typically don't get too severe um, in babies or infants, as I sort of alluded to in the introduction, um, sometimes RSV is a little more severe in in babies and infants, um, and the symptoms can be a little different too for um, for babies, So, like, more irritability, um, decreased activity, and difficulty breathing can also be seen when a baby has RSV. The treatment for RSV um, is pretty mild because typically the cases are pretty mild. Most of the RSV cases that happen are in, like, you know, adults who just have the sniffles, right? And it passes within a week or two on its own, Um, but you can also take like Tylenol or fever reducers um, and pain relief to uh, treat some of the symptoms that might come with an RSV infection, Um, and also drink lots of fluids to prevent dehydration. Serious infections um, can happen with RSV, but usually these happen, in higher risk populations and the serious infections that happen with RSV typically Mm -hmm. accompany, um, or like the conditions that accompany a severe RSV infection are bronchiolitis, which is an inflammation of the bronchioles or the airways in the lungs. Um, and then also pneumonia, which is an infection in the lungs. Um, And for children under one, the most common cause of bronchiolitis and pneumonia is RSV. Um, So in other words, when there's a child under one who has pneumonia, more often than not, it's because they're infected with RSV. Um, But that is to keep in mind that these complications are pretty rare, um, but in like Older adults, like elderly adults, and then infants under six months, um, there is a higher risk of hospitalization that might happen, Um, particularly if the patient has difficulty breathing. um, You can go to the hospital and they get supplemented with oxygen. So they put like an oxygen mask or like, you know, little tubes in your nose um, just to give you more oxygen so it's easier for you to breathe And, um, also if you're like dehydrated, if the patient is very dehydrated, if you go to the hospital, they can administer fluids to rehydrate you. Um, and then in most of these cases with hospitalization, it only lasts a couple of days in the hospital because once you're, you know, hydrated and able to breathe, your body can usually fight off these infections. They're not super, super severe in an overwhelming majority of cases. Um... And I mentioned the high-risk populations, the at-risk populations, particularly in young kids and, and in babies, uh, premature infants are the most at risk for severe RSV infections. And this is for a couple of reasons, one being that their lungs are not fully developed if they're born preterm, um, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but... Um, Yeah. So like if there's like a cold where you're having like coughing and, you know, congestion in your chest and your lungs are not fully developed, that could be, you know, more severe infection or the infection could have more severe side effects on someone whose lungs aren't fully developed. And that's also to say that other high risk populations include older children and older adults who have either compromised immune systems who aren't able to fight off a viral infection um, as easily as someone with a typical functioning immune system, and also um, children and adults who have lung or heart conditions. Um, These are all populations that are considered to be high risk when it comes to developing a serious RSV infection. So when it comes to transmission and... Uh, Well, I guess we'll start with transmission. RSV, the respiratory syncytial virus, spreads through an infected person's cough or sneeze, um, and a virus droplet can get into an uninfected person's face holes, right? Their mouth, their nose, their eyes. And once the virus droplet um, with respiratory syncytial virus or RSV virus in the droplet touches or enough of it, I should say, touches your face holes, then you can get infected with RSV. Um, There's also evidence for surface transmission with RSV. RSV is a type of virus that is fairly stable on hard surfaces, so like countertops, um, tables, uh, crib railings was one that was mentioned as an example on the website. so those are those are sources where the virus can land on a table, for example. And um, so, like if you sneeze on a table and you don't clean it after, then that virus particles that were in your sneeze can live on the table. And then if someone touches the table and then rubs their eyes, um, that can pass or transmit RSV to the next person. Um, so that's what like surface transmission means. It's across surfaces. Um, the life of RSV is shorter on softer surfaces, so like linens, blankets, um, tissues, uh, skin. Even um, it's not as long-lasting on softer tissue or softer surfaces. Um, but the harder surfaces, the countertops, the tables, stuff like that, uh, it can live there for a little while. So, uh, you know, if you come into contact with a a surface that has RSV on it, you could potentially get infected. Um, And another thing that was mentioned in the, uh, I didn't mention actually, but this source uh, was from the CDC. The website is linked in the description as it always is. Um, But the CDC mentioned that RSV is also seasonal. Um, So kind of like cold season, flu season, RSV is also seasonal in that cases increase in the fall, winter, and spring months. So from around now, I guess, like October, November, until about March um, is the RSV season. Um, As far as contagiousness goes, uh, usually contagiousness lasts for three to eight days after symptoms. But in some infants and some people with weaker immune systems, they can stay contagious for a longer period of time, up to four weeks. And then for the prevention of the spread of RSV, um, firstly, the first line of defense is if you are feeling sick, if you feel like you have a cold, you should avoid interaction with children who are at high risk for RSV, like premature babies, Um, children under two that have chronic lung or heart conditions and children with immunocompromised conditions. Um, And also stay away from older people, elderly people who have immunocompromised conditions or chronic heart and lung conditions. Um, That's like the first line of defense. If you don't feel well, stay away from people who are at highest risk for severe illness. Um, But if you can't do that, Then cover your coughs and sneezes with a sleeve or a tissue or something. Um, Wash your hands often with warm water for 20 seconds and soap. Um, And avoid close contact like kissing or um, shaking hands with people who are either immunocompromised or close to people who are immunocompromised. Um, Avoid sharing cups and utensils and um, clean, frequently touched surfaces, including doorknobs and mobile devices. Another um, point of prevention for developing severe illness, particularly in young children, there is a medicine, a drug called, I'm going to pronounce it wrong, palivizumab, palivizumab. Its brand name is Synagis. Why can't scientists name things easily? Why can't we have a a medical brand name called Mark? Why why this Synagis Synagis? What's up with that? Anyway, this this medicine, this drug that I'm just going to call the medicine. Um, is given to babies that are at high risk for severe RSV disease. It's not a vaccine, right? It's a medication that has antibodies already in it, and it can help the baby fight against RSV infection. So it's like an injection that's given um, throughout the uh, season of RSV, And um, particularly babies that are eligible for this medication are premature babies who were born before 35 weeks of gestation. And those premature babies are under six months of age at the beginning of the RSV season. Um, And then also eligible for this medication are babies with heart and lung issues. Uh, Those are the two groups, the premature babies and the babies with heart and lung issues are the two groups that are at the highest risk for hospitalization and additional complications with RSV, so they prioritize this treatment for those babies. Um, If a baby is, like, otherwise chilling, if it was, like, it, how disrespectful, if it, if the baby was born, like, at term and doesn't have um, chronic conditions, um, the likelihood of developing like a very severe RSV infection is very low. Um, and that likelihood, that risk decreases substantially as the baby gets older. Um, so it, the, the real focus is like the newborns that, uh, you know, haven't really quite made it on their own yet as far as immune health and uh, heart and lung health. Um, Okay, so that is my little spiel on transmission, contagiousness, prevention. Um, Hopefully now we have kind of a good idea of what RSV is and like what the RSV infection looks like and how we can treat it and prevent it. So with that, we can move on to the second question, uh, which is, is there a vaccine for RSV? So this is actually a very timely question um, because last week, just last week, on October 20th, to be exact, the CDC had a meeting for the ACIP, or the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, and one of the topics that was discussed at this meeting Um, was interim data analysis for RSV vaccine trials. So these trials are ongoing, um, but the pharmaceutical companies who are running these trials, they're analyzing the data as they're collecting it, and they present their findings, their interim findings, to the ACIP, to the committee, to show how the trial is progressing. Um, so the slides and the data that I'm going to talk about for the next for this question are freely open to the public on the CDC website. That's linked in the description of the episode below. So if you want to, you can even like follow along on the slide deck because um, I'm going to be showing some of the like tables and like the figures that were presented during the ACIP meeting. And um, it's fully available for everybody, like, any, any average Sam can check it out. Um, I'm not an immunology person. I maybe should say that first. Actually, yeah, let me say this disclaimer. I do not work for any of these companies. I am not a representative of any of these companies, and I am not a, an expert on immunizations or anything of the sort. Um, I'm just someone who knew where to find the ACIP meeting notes and, and looked at them. And to be fair, I do have, I'm a scientist, so I I, I have some familiarity with the idea of science, um, just not this and not, I'm I'm not associated with any of the companies or anything like that. Um, yeah, everything that I'm showing you today is freely available. You can check it out and, um, okay, disclaimer over now, let's get into, uh, the two vaccines that I'm gonna talk about today. So there's two RSV vaccines that were discussed at this meeting in particular. Um, One that is being tested for pediatric administration, so like for babies, and then one that's being tested for older adults. So as we discussed in the previous section, remember that little babies and old people are the populations that that are at the highest risk for severe complications from RSV. So these are the populations that they're testing their vaccines for. Okay, so let's start with the babies, the infants. Um, The presentation on the infant vaccine was given by representatives from AstraZeneca and Sanofi, Sanofi? Um, which are pharmaceutical companies. They're working together on... Developing this vaccine, this RSV vaccine for infants, the name of the vaccine is called NersevaMab. NersevaMab. We're gonna call it MARC for short. No, I'm just kidding. Um, NersevaMab. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so the representatives from these companies presented clinical trial data on the NersevaMab study. Uh, The title of their talk was NurseverMab for the Prevention of RSV in All Infants. And again, the link to follow along to the slide deck is in the description below. Um, So if you're listening, if you're listening on your commute, just click and you can follow along with me on the slides. Um, but actually, wait, don't do that, because if you're commuting and you're driving a vehicle, keep your eyes on the road. Don't worry about the slides. Um, but <laughs> if you commute the way I commute, which is on a train for an hour and a half one way, then you can you know, click and follow along if you want to. No pressure. Um, or if you're just like sitting at home or at the office or something and you want to follow along on YouTube... You can YouTube Sam explaining science because I'm going to show all the figures and the tables and stuff in the slides. So, your call. Um, I feel like I should say I do not condone using your phone while driving. Let's just make that clear. I I I I misspoke before. I didn't mean it like that. Okay. Now that we've cleared that up. Um, (laughs) So representatives from Sanofi and AstraZeneca. Uh, presented their clinical trial data at this ACIP meeting. Um, And today we're going to focus on one phase of the trial, which is the phase three phase. Um, And in this part of their trial, they administered their vaccine, nircevimab, or a placebo shot or like a saline shot in infants that were born around 35 weeks of gestational age. Um, so for context, full term for human babies is anywhere between 38 to 42 weeks. That is full term for a human. And infants that are born before 37 weeks are considered premature. So um, what they're getting here with this sample of infants that are born um, at least 35 weeks gestational age is maybe like the, the cusp of premature birth. Um, but most of them are like, you know, within, within term a little bit. Um, and within, anyway, within this, um, sample of infants, they explored the safety, efficacy, and pharmacokinetics of the vaccine. Um, Today, we're just going to talk about the safety and the efficacy, just in the interest of time. And um, so we're going to get into that. So first, let's look at the vaccine efficacy through 151 days post-vaccination. So here I'm looking at a table that was on slide eight of their presentation, if you're following along through their slide deck, um, where the table is broken up um, in columns by... Uh, group, right? So there's one set of columns for the placebo group and one set of columns for the vaccine group. And then the final column towards the end is exploring the vaccine efficacy. In other words, how effective is the vaccine? And we can calculate vaccine efficacy by looking at the risk among, the risk of infection among the unvaccinated group or the placebo group, Minus the risk of the vaccine the risk of infection among the vaccinated group, and then normalizing that by the risk among the unvaccinated group. Um, so essentially, the efficacy we get a percentage, and this percentage tells us the reduction in disease in the vaccinated group. So um, here, for example, the first row of the table is talking about. Um, infants that had a medically, what is MA again? They use so many um, acronyms and then they like define the acronyms in like size four font at the bottom of the slide. I'm like, I know that I have really bad eyesight, but this is a little much. Okay. So (laughs) in the first row, um, so the row of the table is broken up by like the condition of the RSV infection. The top row is like the least severe condition that they studied, and this was medically attended RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, lower respiratory tract infection, LRTI. So um, here we see that in the placebo group, there were 54 out of over 1,000 patients that had medically attended RSV, lower respiratory tract infection. So I guess that means, so what that means is they had to go to, the doctor to be like, what's going on Um, in the vaccinated group. I don't know why I it like that in the vaccinated group, but in the group that got the vaccine, um, there were a little over 2000 infants who got vaccinated and the total number of infants that had um, medically attended RSV, lower respiratory tract infection was 24. So if we're looking at it by a percentage, it's 5.4% of the placebo group and 1.2% of the vaccinated group. And if we do our fancy little calculation of vaccine efficacy, we can find that the efficacy of the vaccine against lower respiratory tract infection um, is 76.4%. The table has two more rows that look at medically attended RSV, lower respiratory tract infection with hospitalization. And then um, the last row is lower respiratory tract infection with hospitalization and required supplemental oxygen or IV fluids. And for each of these conditions, the vaccine was about the same level of effectiveness, about 76 to 78% uh, effective when we're looking at the risk or like the frequency of hospitalization in the placebo group versus the vaccinated group, and then looking at um, supplemental oxygen or IV fluids in the placebo group versus the vaccinated group, we find that this vaccine is about 77 to 78% effective in preventing those conditions from getting as severe as they did as far as vaccine numbers go, um, those are pretty strong results. Having high 70% e- efficacy um, means you got like a pretty solid vaccine. So in addition to looking at the effectiveness of the vaccine, they also looked at reactogenicity, which is in other words, how is the baby reacting to the, uh, to the shot, to the vaccine? Um, And here they report that there were no serious allergic reactions from the vaccine. There were no serious adverse events or deaths that were associated with the vaccine. Um, There was an uncommon frequency of rash within 14 days um, post-injection or Um, post-administration. There's also an uncommon frequency of injection site reactions. So that's like pain, swelling, Um, And then also an uncommon frequency of pyrexia or uh, fever, if you're a normal person. You could just say fever. Um, That was uncommon. And what they mean by uncommon is that the frequency was more than one in a thousand, but less than one in a hundred. Yeah. So I guess it's between 0.1 and 1% of uh, participants had pyrexia or fever. Um, Yeah, so that's some of the reactogenicity data that they shared. The study also showed that um, they looked at a subset of participants for longer than the initial uh, RSV season that the baby was alive for. So... They basically like vaccinated the baby or gave a saline shot to the baby and then followed it over um, the season of the RSV season and checked to see if it, again, it so mean if if the baby um, <laughs> had uh, an infection or not, but they also kept in touch after the following year and the following RSV season. So now they have data for not just the first RSV season, but the second RSV season. And they found that um, after the additional year of the vaccine, they found no hospitalizations due to RSV in either the placebo or the vaccine groups. And to me, I actually kind of wish that I watched the ACIP panel um, because I would be curious to hear their discussion on this, but from my new and limited understanding of RSV, is that as babies get older, as long as there aren't any like prolonged lung or heart issues, RSV is like harmless to like six month olds and like one year olds. It's just a cold. Like it's very very rare that a, a one year old would be hospitalized with RSV. Um, so this data doesn't really surprise me that much, I guess. Um, but I'd be curious to hear how they explained it and how they t- they talked about it. Because to me, it's just kind of like, duh, like, I don't think this has anything to do with the vaccine, right? Doesn't it have a lot to do with just like they're getting older and their immune systems are getting better? I don't know. That was just what I was thinking about. Um, but they do also mention that both for 0.4% of the placebo group and 0.7% of the vaccine group um, had medically attended RSV, lower respiratory tract infection. Um, So it looks like after a year, there's not a big difference in efficacy of the vaccine um, because... If you're looking at it percentage-wise, technically, the vaccine group has a little bit of a higher rate of RSV infection. Um, But at that point, I think the main point that they're trying to make is that at that point, regardless of placebo or vaccine, no child, one to one-and-a-half-year-old child is going to the hospital or is getting IV fluids or supplemental oxygen, um, which is ideal, right? We don't want any kids going to the hospital. So this is good news. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting that they they put that in there. Um, and then towards the end of the presentation, the researchers talked about the implementation of this vaccine for infants. So they say that like for babies who were born before the RSV season picks up. Um, so like between April and October, they suggest the babies get this vaccine during a regular doctor's visit, um, I guess like the first you know year of life. I, I've never had a kid, but I've been one. Um, no, but I think like you know the first year of life, there's a ton of just like doctor's appointments and you know making sure that everything is good and and functioning well. Um, so during one of those like well regular visits. Um, a baby can get an RSV vaccine potentially before the start of the RSV season, and then for babies who are born during the RSV season, um, they suggest or propose, I guess, vaccine administration before hospital discharge. So while while the baby's still in the hospital, you know, once it's born and crying and pooping, then they'll they'll give it the vaccine before it leaves. So it has some. Um, It can build up some immunity uh, against RSV. So in all this data for the nircevimab vaccine suggests that this vaccine is a safe and effective way to keep higher risk preterm babies and newborns from getting severe RSV infections. Um, Although this is an interim analysis, so I should not say that with like certainty, the trial is still ongoing. Um, and you know, they mentioned a couple of like primary and like secondary clinical endpoints um, that they have to reach before, you know, the, the trial is over. But from the data that they showed here, it looks like an effective vaccine and it looks safe, um, and well tolerated, which is really all that we can ask for with the vaccine. So that was pretty exciting to learn about and to see, especially for, um, you know, little babies who can be hit hard with RSV if they're preemies or if they have, um, you know, heart conditions or lung conditions. So good to see, good to learn about. Okay, so now we'll move on to the vaccine for adults. This one is made by Pfizer, and it's called Renoir, Renoir. (laughs) It stands for rsv vaccine efficacy study in older adults immunized against RSV disease. It looks like, okay, if you're not watching and you like don't see the text, um, it looks like, you know, the meme with the SpongeBob meme where it's like, I don't even know how to say it. Where it like alternates between caps and lowercase and it's like, it makes you sound stupid and it's like the Spongebob, I don't know. Is this the second episode in a row where I talk about Spongebob? I think it is and it should surprise nobody. (laughs) Anyway, when I first saw that, it reminded me of the Spongebob meme where you're like writing in capital and lowercase letters. Anyway. (sighs) Sometimes I think like, I can't be a scientist. Like my mind is a 14-year-old child. Like I make jokes that like 14-year-old me would find funny. I haven't matured. I haven't developed. How can I be a scientist? But yet here I am. This anomaly. I'm still here, still kicking. Um <laughs> anyway, uh, Renoir by Pfizer is the adult RSV vaccine. And um, the slides and the results that are referred to in this section, of course, are linked in the description if you'd like to follow along. Um, And I just want to re-disclaim, I do not work for Sanofi and AstraZeneca. I do not work for Pfizer. I'm just accessing data that they put on the ACIP meeting website, which is linked below for your reference. Okay. So getting into this vaccine, the target audience for this vaccine is adults. And we know that in our, with RSV, older adults, particularly like elderly people, are at a higher risk for more severe illness. Um, so the participants to this study were mostly over 60 years old. Um, the mean age group um, for the vaccine group and the placebo group, both were about 68 years old. Um, and so anyway, they recruited participants who were over 60 and then divided that in half. And again, randomized whether the participant would get a vaccine or get a placebo. All participants completed, uh, weekly surveillance after getting their injection, whether it be a vaccine or a placebo. Um, they completed weekly surveillance for acute respiratory illness symptoms and adverse events. Reactogenicity was studied for seven days post vaccination in some of the participants, and immunogenicity is being studied over time in another subset subset of participants. So thinking about the reactogenicity and how the vaccine, or the placebo was tolerated in the participants. Um, We can think about these as local reactions and systemic reactions. So the local reactions are things that happen by the injection site. Systemic are kind of all over your body and not localized to the injection site. So we'll start with the local reactions. Um, The vaccine group, of the vaccine group, 12.1% had some form of local reaction, had any local reaction, and of that 12%, about 10% of those participants, or 10% of the total participants, uh, had mild reactions, mild uh, local reactions, about 2% had moderate local reactions, And a very small sliver um, had severe reactions. Um, And what they mean by mild, moderate, and severe is mild uh, reaction is it didn't have any interference with their daily life. Moderate meant that there was some interference with their daily life. And severe meant that it prevented their daily activity. so let's say the most common of the local reactions was pain at injection site. Um, a mild pain at injection site would be like you know you kind of feel it, but you can still like you know cook dinner and you could still like take a walk and like do things. Um, moderate would be like uh, you know I can I pro I can cook dinner, but I probably won't. You know, lift the frying pan with the arm that I got the shot in because it hurts. It's like a little bit affected, but not that much. And then severe is like, I'm on the couch because my arm hurts so bad, I simply cannot stand. That's severe. That's just an example. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I think the main takeaway from this is that of the total 100% of people who got uh, the vaccine, 12% had a local reaction, Um, and most of that 12% was either mild or moderate. Uh, Another thing to note is that the placebo shot also had local uh, reaction. So 6%, a little over 6% of the controls or the placebo group had any local reaction as well, where 5% of them were mild and about 1% was moderate, and then a little sliver is more severe. Um, So the... Vaccine did cause a little more uh, reaction than the placebo did, um, but it wasn't an overwhelming percentage of the people who got the vaccine. Um, Some other examples of the local reactions were uh, redness at the injection site and swelling as well. All right. So now let's move on to the systemic events. These were a little more common than the local events, actually. Um, so in the vaccine group, 27.4% of people who got the vaccine had any form of systemic event. Um, most of that was mild. About 15% of that was mild. About 10% of people had moderate events. Uh, systemic events and then about 1% had severe systemic events. And again, severe meaning that it prevents daily activity. So 27.4% of the Vax group had a form of a systemic event, whereas 25.7% of the placebo group had uh, any form of systemic event. So kind of similar in number, um, and a similar breakdown as well, where most of the placebo group had mild systemic events um and then about 10% were um moderate um the most common systemic events that happened across the groups placebo and uh and vaccine were fatigue headache and muscle and joint pain and across all of those again mostly that they were mild or moderate side effects um okay the representatives from Pfizer also updated um, about the vaccine efficacy so again the vaccine efficacy is a measure of the proportion of reduction in um, infection or in disease among the vaccinated group or between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated group. So here they classified infection as um, either having two or more symptoms of RSV or having three or more symptoms, and they report data for both. And they find that um, there were a total of 44 cases of RSV that had two or more symptoms, and the breakdown of that was 11 people got the vaccine and 33 people got the placebo. And from that, they find a vaccine efficacy of about 66.7%. Um, so it, effected, it it reduced the likelihood of getting RSV, if we classify RSV by two or more symptoms, um, by 66.7% with a vaccine compared to without a vaccine. Um, but when we define RSV infection as having three or more symptoms, Uh, that case number drops to 16, um, where two people in the vaccine group and 14 people in the placebo group held that classification of infection. And when they use those numbers, the vaccine efficacy is 85.7%, which is very effective. (laughs) Um, That's a really stellar vaccine efficacy. If you remember that throwback, my rant about stellar. Um, So that means there is like almost a 90% reduction in disease occurrence when we're defining disease as having three or more symptoms. Um, And of course, the number of symptoms increases with the severity of disease. So if we're thinking about preventing severe disease, uh, this vaccine is 85%, almost 86% effective against multiple symptoms that could lead to more severe RSV infection. So that's pretty cool. We can also visualize the vaccine effectiveness using these survival plots that they showed here. So survival plots are really cool because you can plot groups against each other and kind of see the differences in the progression over a period of time. So I'll walk through this. Um, I believe the slide numbers are way too small to read on my screen. Let me see, 29 and no, 20 and 21. I gotta go to the eye doctor, dang. Okay, so on slides 20 and 21 of the Pfizer slide deck, um, they have these, uh, I'm pretty sure they're called survival plots. Where on the y-axis of the plot, they have the total number of cases, or like the cumulative number of cases up to a certain day. Um, And then the x-axis is the days past vaccination. Um, The vaccinated groups are shown in blue, and the placebo groups are shown in gray. And the plot on the left shows the number of cases that had two or more symptoms, and the plot on the right shows the cases that had three or more symptoms. And um, in these plots, there's a pretty drastic separation between the number of cases in the placebo group and the number of cases in the vaccinated group. Whether we're looking at two or three symptoms, both plots show very similar things where <clears throat> about a month after vaccination, or I should say about a month after the shot was administered, you could see a separation or a divergence of the placebo group and the vaccine group where the vaccine group had less cumulative cases than the placebo group did. Um, and we see that again for both more than two symptoms and more than three symptoms. Um, so that's pretty, pretty amazing. And I, I I like looking at these plots versus like looking at numbers because it really shows you the stark difference between placebo and vaccine in terms of cases. Um, and the people who've got the vaccine are far less frequently getting infected, um, and having multiple symptoms. So that's very cool. I appreciated these plots and maybe you do too, and maybe you don't, and that's fine. I, I can't tell you what to do. I can't tell you how to feel, but I thought it was interesting. All right. So this was the uh, conclusion conclusion slide that Pfizer uh, had for their for their study. Um, Again, these are interim analyses, so they're still collecting data on these trials. They haven't finalized the data, um, the data collection. But from the data that they've collected so far, they can make these conclusions that the RSV vaccine so far has been very well tolerated. There were no harmful um, side effects, and It was also very effective in preventing symptomatic RSV illness in adults over 60. So, I don't know. I thought those were pretty interesting. And I I love that this is, like, public information. Like, I didn't realize that, like, clinical trial data is just, like, there for us to look at if we want to. I don't know. I think that's really cool. Maybe I'm the only one. But if you're curious and you're interested, just... Go Google it. Google is free, as they say. Um, and the CDC information on their website is free. So we can, you know, check it out there. Learn as much as we want about all of the cool clinical trials that are going on. All right. Let's let's uh, let's do some takeaways from this episode. Uh The first takeaway that I'm taking away from this, because I actually learned a lot this episode, because like I said at the beginning, I did not have any knowledge of RSV or like honestly any respiratory viruses that affected kids. Um, That's why I was excited when I got Annie's question, because I was like, I don't know. I can learn a lot now. Um, So I guess the first takeaway that I'm taking from this episode is that um, RSV is generally mild, but it can be severe for high-risk groups, including preterm babies or babies who have lung or heart issues, um, as well as older adults and adults with immunodeficiencies, and also that there are vaccines in the pipeline. Um, we talked about nursevimab, which is the Sanofi and AstraZeneca vaccine for infants, and then we also talked about the Renoir <laughs> Renoir by Pfizer, which is uh, targeted for older adults who might be at a higher risk of severe uh, RSV infection. So yeah, I learned a lot this week, and I hope you did too. I hope this was an insightful episode. I hope it was interesting to follow along. Um, Yeah, that's my takeaways. All right, that is all for this week's episode Please don't forget to follow, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening. And you can also subscribe on YouTube, please. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at samsplainingci. So connect with me there and ask questions if you'd like. You can also submit your questions to sciencecom slash ask. So if you have anything that you want Sam explain to you, ask away. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you learned a little bit and laughed a little bit. And I will talk to you next time. Bye.